I was incarcerated for murder. I went to jail for murder, and in that, reality hit me. And I was not saved at that time, and I am now saved. And the reality was that I needed Christ in my life because I was going down the wrong road. I was facing 40 years to life in prison, but God blessed me with three years, and I was released. Incarceration touches all of us in the U.S. Some 6.6 million people live under supervision of adult correctional authorities in prison, in jail, on probation, or on parole. Nearly 2.2 million men and women are behind bars, and more than 600,000 people are released every year, with two-thirds being arrested within three years. The annual cost to incarcerate and reincarcerate this many people is more than $80 billion. $80 billion. Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, and today, my good friend, Pastor Ricky Floyd from the Pursuit of God Church. And there's something special that the Pursuit of God Church has been engaged in now for several years, and it's the Angel Tree Project. It's a ministry of prison fellowship. And as I read those statistics starting off, that came from prison fellowship ministry, and it really breaks your heart. You know, you think about the men and the women behind the bars, but what about their families, their children left behind? That's where we want to kind of help pick up the pieces and share the story of Angel Tree and the connection of how Pursuit of God has been ministering through this program at Christmas time and encourage hopefully other churches to do the exact same thing. That's really what we want to do today. Pastor Ricky, it's so good to see you. My friend, it is an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to be in your presence again, and I thank God for the voice that you are that gives us an opportunity to cry in the wilderness the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why don't you kind of lay a foundation, Pastor, if you would, about the importance of pursuit connecting with Angel Tree and what's it meant for your church? You know, I love the research and information that you gave up front. Many times when a crime is committed, we think about the criminal and we think about the apparent victim of the crime, but many times what we don't realize the unseen or unspoken of victim is the children. After a parent gets goes to jail or gets incarcerated, then there are children who are left there who don't have support, who don't have comfort, who uh, are deprived of needs at even a higher level because if that person was in a criminal activities, chances are they were not being a great parent already. But when you rob the absence of a parent all the way by putting them in incarceration, at this time of year when a lot of people, when we're supposed to be experiencing the peak of love, the peak of hope, the peak of joy, the peak of benevolence. And then you have children who not only will not have that time, that quality time with their parents, but they'll be robbed of the the love language of gifts. And so what we're trying to do is the church is supposed to be a father to the fatherless. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give some children what they may have been deprived of because of their parents being incarcerated. But the reality, Byron, is some of them might not have even had it while their parents were there. You brought one of your staff members in. We've got Sheila Jefferson. She is the administrator of the Pursuit of God. So we know that things are working well. Yes. Because (laughs) Miss Sheila's got her hands on the reins there. But together, you got a great team at Pursuit of God. Miss Sheila, welcome to the program. How long have you been working with Pursuit of God? I've been working at the Pursuit of God about four years now. Did you grow up here in Memphis? I did. I've been here all my life. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your family. What area of town did you grow up in? What was life like for Sheila growing up? Life for me growing up was 
difficult from time to time, but I had some good times. I grew up in the area of Westwood as a young girl, and as a teen, my mom moved to North Memphis, and that's when my life really had began to kind of take a turn. In what way, Sheila, did your life turn? Um, wasn't making wise decisions, didn't complete school, and did things my way. Just did things my way, and my way was just not the good way for me. And it landed me in a area of my life where I never imagined that I would be. Can you kind of describe what that was like? What happened that brought you to this well, point? Well, what happened to me was I started making bad decisions with the men that I chose in my life. And making those decisions were kind of damaging for me. It landed me in an area of incarceration. So you yourself went to prison? I was incarcerated, okay. yes, sir. What circumstances caused that to take place in your life? Just not being honest with okay. myself. What caused that? There was a particular crime that took there place. There was a particular crime that took place. I was incarcerated for murder. I went to jail for murder, and in that, reality hit me. And I was not saved at that time, yeah. and I am now saved. And the reality was that I needed Christ in my life because I was going down the wrong road. Sheriff, would you share with Byron how much time you were facing or sentenced to in jail? I was facing 40 years to life in prison, but God blessed me with three years, and I was released. You went to prison as a mom, too. You had children, didn't you? I did, four children. Okay, so when you got the sentence and you're in jail now, what happened to your children? Being separated from my children placed them in different areas. All four of them was placed in four different homes, but they were all with family. So that was a blessing within itself that um, they were in a place where they could stay connected to me and my bloodline. What was the turning point? The turning point for me was completely being separated from my children, who was my responsibility. That was the turning point for me. Like any mom, you felt like, I have this role I'm supposed to play, but it's taken away by a choice that you made. Correct. How did that make you feel? Made me feel low. Yeah. Made me feel unworthy. Made me feel like a failure. It made me feel like that I just walked away from my children without giving them a choice. Wow. Pastor, sometimes, you know, life creates situations, sometimes we do make bad choices. I think sometimes we say we live and die by the choices that we make, but I don't think we realize that our children's life and lifestyle and future will be determined by the choices that we make. And I thank God that Sheila realized that she made some negative choices, but to see how she cares, corrects, caresses her children, now I get to see that hands-on now. It's truly a testament of, of the power of God and uh, a redeeming power of God. Sheila, I mean, you're facing 40 years to life. And what happened that you served three years and you're here today talking to us about this? Well, I had a charge partner and my charge partner actually released me because I was to be released. My charge partner took on the responsibility that they should have. So you were an accomplice in that situation. Yes. God in his mercy, God in his grace. Grace. Wow. So you said you weren't a Christian when this took place. Yes, sir. Was it in prison that you discovered Jesus, what he's offered you? It was in prison. Tell me about that. What was happening when you first heard? When I first received Jesus Christ, 
I was down in the lower level of 201 Poplar, and it was around Christmas time, as a matter of fact. I got a visit from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit visited me with a light. I don't know if you ever been down in lower level of 201 Poplar, but it's dark down there in those cells. It's not much light. And to get a beam of a bright, shining light and to hear a voice just as clear as me and you sitting here speaking to you and restoring you instantly. I was instantly restored and redeemed. And I began to have this self-confidence and believe that I was going to be okay. God had began to deal with me. I had to accept, even though I may not have actually committed the crime, but I was guilty of a crime. Yes. Pastor, we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a minute, you know, because well, folks listening right now might find themselves not necessarily with a murder charge, yeah. but in a similar low place, they just kind of give up, think there's no hope for themselves. You know, as Sheila was saying that, I want to encourage some parent, some husband, some wife out there. The light is looking for your child. The light is looking for your spouse. Sheila says she was in a dark place and the light came. We need to be encouraged because sometimes it seems like we can't get to them. seems like as pastors, we can't get to them. But I want to encourage somebody out them to let them know that the light is looking for who you love. And the light can have more influence and more power and more authority and more anointing and more conviction than we can ever have. So maybe our prayer today need to be light. Find our loved one who's in a dark place from what Sheila's saying right now. You know, I was thinking about it was a dark place. About 2,000 years ago, ah, glory. when the light <laughs> yes. came into the world, Jesus, yes. that star of Bethlehem, <laughs> yes. the my brilliance God. of the angels oh, that came God. and spoke to those shepherds, yes. Yes. the great proclamation mm-hmm. and news that mm-hmm. we have a redemption through Jesus, a Savior wow. is born. He's here today. Wow. It's Jesus. That's what the message that is being shared through the ministry of Prison Fellowship mm-hmm. is we talk about 2.7 million children in the U.S., feel that abandonment, loneliness, and shame that come from having a mom or dad in mm-hmm. prison. And this Angel Tree program from Prison Fellowship reaches out to these kids in prison. Now, Miss Sheila, do you know about Angel Tree while you were in prison? I did not. But now you kind of understand because you've been on the inside. Yes, sir. You've been on the inside at Christmas time. Yes, sir. And you've seen other inmates and friends that you met separated from their kids, too, yes. at Christmas yes, time. Yes, sir. What's that like? Oh, my God. Um, just being separated from your children alone. It's empty. It's it's just empty. And knowing that being incarcerated is what separates you from your children, there's a missing void there. Because even though you're you're in prison for whatever mistakes you have made, whatever crime you have made, the children is suffering. They should not have to suffer. Right, right. There is no way that the system has for children and mothers to stay connected. Pastor, how does Angel Tree come into a situation like this? How does it work at Pursuit of God? I know you hear the passion in Sheila, but I want to tell you a personal incident that I had this summer that even took my passion, and I felt a little pain, of, of, and I don't want to put myself in the same category, but I could understand at a higher level of the pain that was experienced because of the separation. My daughter moved away for a positive reason to Murfreesboro for a little while, and we kept my grandbaby, which was a bonus and a joy to me. (laughs) But over a period of time, my grandbaby wanted to see and touch her mother. 
even though this was not a negative situation, the fact that I remember her one night saying, I want mommy. Even with that, we can pick up the phone and do FaceTime with her mama. And I thought about then, Byron, what about the children who have parents in prison who say, I want mommy. And there's no FaceTime. There's no quality time. There's just tears. There's just tears. There's no explanation. And, man, the conviction of that took me to a greater level of commitment to this that we have the ability to do. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The children, the way this is set up, the children get a letter from their parents that's telling them that the gift is coming. So it's not like they believe they're getting the gift from the church. They're getting the gift from their family. Now, you got to imagine, first of all, you know how hard it is to have a job and be out of prison <laughs> and, and, <laughs> at Christmas time. Can you imagine the tension with the parents on the inside when they know this season is coming up? And wow. then for many, yeah. wow. for many, yeah. Byron, this is the first time they've been clean in a long time. They don't have drugs to mask the fact that they have not been a good parent. And they got to sit in there and reflect that I've been a horrible parent. Christmas is coming around. And I can't give anything to my children. And then here comes an angel tree that not only see a lot of times we look at what it does to the children, but what it does to the parents that the children are going to see that I'm a provider when they weren't expecting to get anything. And I may be a better provider in prison. Not everybody, for some totally. who are addicted yeah. to drugs, alcohol, yeah. Yeah. criminal lifestyle, oh that God. had voided the fact that they had children that they were responsible for. What a wonderful way, again, for the church to show the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's about the kids. It's mm-hmm. about connecting that love and these yeah. little gifts. Connecting I mean, the love of Jesus yes, to the children. exactly. Yeah. Through the church. I praise God as the mercy and grace of God because we're, we're not a church that has a lot in reserve. And for people, they really buy into this. It's oh, an evangelistic yes. move. We've been blessed to have one of the biggest buy-in. As a matter of fact, I think one year we were able to make sure that all of the angel tree mm-hmm. were met. Yes. And I just want to encourage our listeners through your churches, if you see angel tree, for the Prison Fellowship, please find an angel and pray over that angel and go get those gifts and be part of this child's Christmas. Make a difference in their life. There's so many things that would fight for our affections, false things that give the impression that they can satisfy, but they never can. And it's only until we stop really even as a child and look at the manger and the Christ child born to die. Not just our salvation, but the satisfaction of our soul. There's so many things around Christmas that come just rushing at us. And I'm thankful that he gives us this time of the year to stop, to pause, to consider and realize there's no satisfaction apart from Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Christmas sermons included this from the celebration of Advent, where he said, "...is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come." You know, Christmas is a season of traditions. To most kids, Santa Claus is the face of Christmas, and that face is everywhere this time of year. But Christmas can also be a season of sadness, of lost hope and disappointments. 
I'm Byron Tyler. We do want to wish you a Merry Christmas, and we want to talk about the season with my good friend, Pastor Mike Delisle, who is pastor of Evangel Church. Merry Christmas, Mike. Merry Christmas. That verse in John 1.14, the message says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. I need to know he's in my neighborhood. I do every day, uh, right? Every day, every day. Why do you think God went so far to move into our neighborhood? Well, I think we have no capacity to understand God. We have no capacity to really grasp His love. It absolutely shows there was no length that He was not willing to go to. I think it's such a condescending love that He would He would take on flesh so that we would know He knows us. He didn't discover anything new, but He discovered Himself to us. And that's an incredible thought. Obviously, as a child, it's very exciting. You're thinking about, you know, the toys and looking through, in our day, the Sears catalog. The, the wish book. The wish book, you know, <laughs> circling all the things you would hope to get for Christmas. I remember there was a nativity set that had been in our family for a long time. And there was a simple little yellow warm glow light that was in the top of it that illuminated figures in the nativity. I would just be mesmerized, staring for long periods of time. Yeah. Looking at the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the sheep and the animals, you know, that Absolutely. were in that stable. But it didn't really connect with me, you know. And I yeah. think for a lot of people, they have the sentiment of, of maybe even have a nativity scene similar to what I described. And it's a tradition to put that out, turn that little yellow glowing light on, you know, to reflect <laughs> everything. And it wasn't for me until, my goodness, I was 16 years old when I first understood why Christ came to earth. It was interesting. You came to know the Lord at 16. I was 17, and it was December 2nd of 1983. So for me, Christmas at that point, the dimensions, the vividness of it, the reality of Christmas, and you're right. Uh, you can understand the traditions. You can look forward to the things that we do at Christmas. But until you know the Christ child, until you realize that baby was born to die, you can't fully appreciate the depth of it. That's one of the things I'm so thankful for, that he went so far to, again, reveal himself to me and show me the depths of his love. Yeah, to see it as his child is an incredible thing. You know, this time we go to church, a lot of messages uh, centered around the birth of Christ. Yes. And usually a pastor like yourself will declare the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But in reality, wouldn't it be more accurate to say the virgin conception? Talk about that a second. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely. To get your head around the sense that uh, the Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive is just an incredible thought spotless, sinless child coming to this world, not marred by the sin of man, not the seed of man, um, is again, I don't think we can ever fully get our minds around it, but it captures us. Well, is it really that significant? That part of the story, is that really that important? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because even if you go back to Genesis and speak of, of the, the seed of Eve that would crush the serpent's head, it had to be from the woman, and it always spoke of the man's seed. We see that he was born of a virgin coming in spotless, sinless, not tainted with this inherited sin. It's absolutely critical to our salvation, to our understanding of the depths of God's love. It's something that doesn't always click with everybody. Like no. I mentioned, we get sentimental about the baby in a manger. Yeah, and I think about, um, you know, even in Luke chapter 2, when it, Mary is is taking all of this in, all that's happened to her, and you come to this, this point where it says, and she treasured these things. I cannot begin to imagine what was going through that young girl's mind 
at the center of the salvation of man that this baby was born. God, very God. We have a tendency to look at figures like Mary and others in the Bible like these great people of faith, you know, and I'm not saying they didn't have faith. Oh, absolutely. But the initial announcement was really a shock to Mary, you know? She was like confused. She intellectually was trying to figure this out. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. I'm engaged to this man. And of course, even engagement was quite different at that time. There was grounds for her to be stoned. Yeah. And and it had to have gone through her mind to know that she was going to face the accusation that would come with being with child yet having not consummated that marriage. I can't imagine the fear, but in that fear, as you've said, let your will be done in me. Just a phenomenal thing to see her faith, but the reality of that, the difficulty of it, the drama of it was also real. And sometimes we traditionalize and kind of you know whitewash a lot of that. It had to be a very difficult time. I can't imagine. You know, in the classic Isaac Watts hymn, Joy to the World, there's a line in that hymn that says, let every heart prepare him room. You know, it seems that our hearts have a no vacancy sign in the window when it comes to God's gift of Jesus. We try to find our joy by filling our heart with things, you know, Mm -hmm. in pursuit of uh, power and accomplishments and things like that. Yeah, there's so many things that would fight for our affections false things that give the impression that they can satisfy, but they never can. And it's only until we stop, really, even as a child, and look at the manger and the Christ child born to die, not just our salvation, but the satisfaction of our soul. There's so many things around Christmas that come just rushing at us. And I'm thankful that he gives us this time of the year to stop, to pause, to consider, and realize there's no satisfaction apart from Jesus talking about that satisfaction, and even many of us try to please those around us, it can be financially tough. Of course, the items have gotten, you know, bigger and fancier, and now they're electronic, and they got all these bells and whistles, and trying to afford all that, you know, an iPhone or these gifts, I mean, it can be so crazy. Yeah, and and so consuming. I mean, you look at the the cost of the gifts, I mean, maybe my G.I. Joe back in the 70s was expensive. Did you have the talking G.I. Joe? I had every G.I. Joe you could imagine. (laughs) Kung Fu grip was my favorite. (laughs) But the things that people want now are also more consuming. You mentioned the iPhone or different technology. It can be overwhelming. Yeah, and there's this competition, you know, because Johnny at school, you know, is getting that gift. So I got to make sure my kid doesn't go back to class, you know, without having new clothes or the newest toy on the market. And I was thinking of that movie that was out a few years ago where there was this one gift everybody tried to get, you know, and there was no more left. You know, there's this fighting, (laughs) you know, for the gift. And it seemed like we lose our minds, you know, at Christmas time. It does. And again, I think that's, that's the world pressing in, trying to drown out the reality of Christmas. Pride and competition, you know, the Lord would say, peace, be still. Just look into the eyes of this child. That's where hope is found. How do we become intentional about making room for Christ in our hearts? Well, I think you start with the biblical truth that we have and consider it deeply. We read the Christmas story and we look at Luke chapter 2 or the other tellings of what happened. And I think sometimes we read them through as if it's a speed read and it's just a story. It's not a story. It's our story. It's his story. And to sit and to think on those things deeply. Meditating on the Word of God is something that the hurry of the day just argues against. And I think we have to deliberately, intentionally stop and say, God, just show me anew the realities of this wonder. We have to push back against the rush. 
many families will bring the Advent calendar into their homes. Have you done that? We've done that in the past, and I think that's a wonderful way to build your anticipation to not only the fact that he has come, but that he's coming again. I think that's a wonderful way to do it again, to intentionally consider the realities of the story. What's the balance between tradition and the reality of why we celebrate Christmas? Uh, uh, I'm not sure I have the answer to that one. That's, that's something I struggle with every year because we, you know, we're warned by those traditions and, and they have meaning within our families. And I think they're important. And I think tradition is good. But tradition should not drown out the realities of the gospel truth. And so I think with every family, there's a balance that's there between tradition and scriptural truth. In this Christ child, who I'm so thankful that God's plan was to rescue us. It was not just in a cradle. It was on a cross. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it comes full circle that uh, to understand the depths of the joy that we celebrate in the child, we have to understand the cross and that Jesus proclaimed it is finished. He has provided for us. He has shown his love. He has done all that, that he can do. And uh, now we just respond. There's another aspect of the story, too, his return. When we speak about Advent and, and his first Advent and look forward to him coming again and looking forward to that day when we and all, every tongue, every tribe will, will worship the Lamb, we'll spend eternity enjoying his presence. It's going to be wonderful. And friend, we hope that that place in your heart is with Christ. You know him in a way you're going to be there with us. That's right. Mike, somebody maybe is curious. They've been hearing this story and maybe for the first time it kind of clicked. What can they do right this moment to receive this gift of Jesus? Well, you know, you recognize what the gospel truth is, and that is a man was in desperate need because of sin. And uh, there was really no way that we could reconcile ourselves with God. But God, in his love, uh, demonstrated that in that way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even as we celebrate this Christmas, we realize that we receive that truth and trust in what Jesus has done. So what a person can do is understand that the gospel is Jesus came and lived a spotless, sinless life, that baby born to die. Yet there came the day when he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to the cross to satisfy an infinite offense against an infinite God and in love laid down his life. Body bruised and blood poured out for us to receive the gift of that provision in Jesus Christ. What they can do right now is realize today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus.